Genesis chapter 19, verses 1 through 13. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face towards the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned in to him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now before they laid down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. Then they said, This one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city? Take them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Good morning. We have a very interesting passage this morning to study. And before we do, we need to make sure we understand the context that these verses come in. Uh, One of the things that happens when people use this passage is they don't understand the context and they take it out of context. But as you remember last week, the verses we studied talked about a test for living in this culture. Believers, God wants us to be pure in truth, but a sinner will believe a lie. A sinner will believe a lie. They exchange the truth of God for a lie. A believer, second, is supposed to be pure in worship, and a sinner will worship themselves. And a third, the believer is to be pure in service. A sinner will serve himself, serve the creature rather than the creator. And fourth, the believer will be pure in his focus, and a sinner will not see the Creator in the creation. So, we talked about sin. Ever since the gospel message was given in verse 15. Now, we get to another sin, which seems to come right out of our newspaper headlines our TV shows, our TV commercials. 
talking about homosexuality. Homosexuality is a very interesting sin that's looked on with acceptance. Very few cases you find rejection. And it used to be just in our culture that you would find this issue being debated. But now, denominations like the Southern Baptist Convention, they have a, few, a big feud over homosexuality. A statement that came out of the Southern Baptist Convention said, what was known in the past as both taboo and hideous and a mental disorder, which is true, it was in the psychological journals as a mental disorder, has now been acceptable, been accepted as reasonable and respectable. And is even seen as a minority group. There was a group of people that were uh, placed in a room and they were questioned. And they were asked what the percentage of Americans are homosexual. And their answers ranged from 60% to 20%. Which would make sense with what we see on TV and films and commercials. But they did a scientific study of how many homosexuals we have. And one major result was 1% to 2% of Americans are homosexual. UCLA did a study that was a little bit more precise, and they came up with 1.7% of Americans are homosexual. It seems that they're getting a bigger display as normal, far greater than the actual percentage of people who have this lifestyle. It's interesting that our culture is now making God a liar and loving what he hates and justifying what he condemns. Paul, in the context, brings up homosexuality, but he has two characteristics that go with it as he brings it up. Number one, that God is the creator, and he'll bring it up again and again. And two, that the wrath of God is present tense being displayed. So you got God being a creator, you got the wrath of God being displayed, and you have his main problem with people today in not worshiping God and not thanking God. So there we go. Let's look at the verses now. Verse 26, Romans chapter 1. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for their women exchanged the natural function for that, for that which is unnatural. Uh, by the way, your English versions may vary. 
because there are a lot of verbs in here, a lot of words in here that Paul uses only here. So we have a hard time translating them to English. But first off, he begins with, for this. For this. This is the second time of three that he brings up this for this. On account of the rejection of divine revelation, they prefer idols to the true God. And God, in the second stance here, gave them up because of their folly of rejecting God. God is active in the process where sin consequences follow the sin. His nature is bent, human nature is bent towards the sin. Only God can graciously remove the sin and produce righteousness. He gave them over. This is the second time its phrase is used. First time, God gave mankind over to his lust and sexual impurity in general. But now he abandons them over to their passions. Their passions. Gave them over literally means to abandon something. He abandons the sinner to his sin. He gave them over in a judicial sense like he makes a judgment. And he commits like you commit a person to prison. He commits them to sin. God is actively giving sinners over to sin. And in this case, degrading passions. Passions that overwhelm the person. That control the person. That controls every thought they have. And Paul uses homosexuality as the most degrading, repulsive of all passions. Now, we're going to look at this simply. We're going to look at simply what Paul says. We're going to look at what he says, and then we'll try to put in a, a collection of what the Word of God says. We will not cover everything the Bible says. We don't have that much time. But we will try to get a understanding of what the Bible says, degrading passions. Passions that go out of control. So here we go. First question. What unnatural result comes to the world by God's judicial decision? God makes a judgment. He makes a judgment with His wrath. And unnatural results come to the world because of His decision to give them over. Put it this way. Number one. <clears throat> Number one. The judicial decision can the wrath of God do for a person alive today? What can the wrath of God do for a person alive today? Number one, freedom to, cho to chase your sinful passions. Freedom to chase your sinful passions. In other words, you have, when God gives you over, He allows you to have the freedom to chase your sinful passion as much as you want. And that is part of God's wrath, allowing you to continue in that sin so that you get deeper and deeper and deeper controlled by that sin. In this world, sometimes we think and we hear that God has a bunch of do's and don'ts trying to keep us away from fun. 
When in reality, what God is doing is He keeps us away from what will harm us. So that we can have true joy. And one of the things His wrath does is He allows us to get deeper and deeper into sin, which does nothing but hurt us and cause us much more pain. So God makes a decision to give you the freedom to chase your sinful passions. You chase it, you chase it, and God lets you get in deeper and deeper into the judgment that comes. Second, what unnatural results come to the world by God's judicial decision? If God leaves you to these passions, what happens to you? What result do you have? Second, you have confusion or denial or rejection over God-given natural roles for men and women. You have confusion, denial, or rejection over God-given natural roles for men and women. <laughs> Doesn't that describe our culture today? Doesn't it? I mean, we are so confused... We reject God's roles for us. We have so many different ideas of even what marriage is. <laughs> it's astounding. There was a report came out from a British study on how many genders there are in society. Oh, I'd love for you to ask, how many? <laughs> He came up with, and I saw, I saw a uh, study that was done in uh, uh, teaching teachers in, I think it was Montana or Idaho. They had a teacher's conference, and they were instructing the teachers on how there are 30 different genders now. 30 different genders. This British scholar came up with a list of 100 different Genders. We are so confused over the role of men and women. This society we live in has almost got comical in what they think is a gender. So here we go. They get confused or deny or reject God-given natural roles for men and women. Look at the verse, verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degenerating passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. They exchange their natural function for something unnatural. Uh, this word for women here is not our normal Greek word for women. The normal Greek word comes up 215 times in the New Testament. This is a word that probably should be translated female. Female. It occurs five times in the New Testament. It's rarely used. It seems to bring women into the place of who they are by their sex. Or, if we want to use modern terms, 
who they are by their gender. Which is woman, female, female. Genesis 1.27, to make sure we all understand how many here we go. God created his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Here it comes. Here it comes. Wait for it. Male and female. Which to me equals two. Just so we get this straight. So we're not confused. God, by his grace, created some of you women, women. Oh, excuse me, female. And I'm sorry, but God put some of you guys into male and called you men. Sorry, you have one gender. If you have any doubts on this, ask the elders on the after church, and they'll explain to you which gender you are. There are not a hundred or thirty or two or three or whatever, there are two. The adjectives female and male are used here rather than the nouns women and men. I think because he's emphasizing the difference between the two genders. There is a natural role for women and a natural role for men. And the one who designed it and organized it is the Creator God. He gave you your gender. But sin comes along and you exchange things. Women, by a choice, exchange a normal relationship to a homosexual relationship. By a choice. The first exchange that the, Paul talks about is worship of God, then worshiping an idol. Second change is not taking your normal relationship, a role as a woman, and exchanging that to something unnatural. Homosexuality is the best illustration of an unnatural, sensual sin. That's why Paul uses it. Idolatry is unnatural in worshiping a creator God. Homosexuality is unnatural to creating the role of a woman. Sinners have always been exchanging natural for something that contradicts nature. The natural function, nature, how God created you, the difference between men and women, the function, usually referring to sexual intercourse, the function is different. Look at verse 27. And in the same way also, men abandoned the natural function of women and burned in their desire towards one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving on their own persons the due penalty of their error. The same way men adopted, abandoned, they let go of. By the way, the men there, 
The term is not the normal Greek word for man, which occurs 550 times. It is talking about the male, referring nine times in the New Testament. It's emphasizing the sexual difference between men and women. The same way that God created men, God created women for a specific role that he has in creation. The same sex relationship violates the distinction that God intended in the creation of men and women. The natural function of a woman, natural as in creation, how God made it, sex to work in a relationship between a husband and a wife, a male and a female. You join the two genders together and you have a marriage. That's how the Creator founded it, created it, made it. But because of God giving us over to sin, we change the rules. We therefore then fall into an unnatural relationship or function. And homosexuality is produced. Third, third, What does God's judicial decision do to a person's desire? Verse 27, In the same way also men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire towards one another. Burned in their desires towards one another. What does God's judicial decision do to a person's desire? Here you go, number three. Sinners are moved to a rage with powerful but unnatural passion. Sinners are moved to a rage with a powerful and unnatural passion. This way, it becomes such a because their natural passion, rage takes over in a homosexual relationship. They're burned to be burned out, to be set on fire, to be inflamed with anger and lust. The Greek terms only used here in the New Testament. The men are burned up in a powerful, unnatural passion for other men towards one another. Rome, in that day, homosexuality was a very big thing going on. Matter of fact, they had young boys, they had literal armies of young boys that they put into special clothes and trained them to be instruments for homosexual men. And they would bring these armies into their parties and have their way with these boys. Greeks were the same way. They had the same kind of operation. They would have the same sinful passion that would burn for them, and they would cause great craziness and sickness in their sexual relationships that should be for their wife. The wealthy rich were always putting on parties, and one of the things that would be part of their party is a sexual relationship with these young boys. Now, I got this. So don't blame me when I say it. 
the three biggest people, occupations that seem to be involved in this homosexual act were teachers, conquerors, and emperors. In that day and age, they were the ones that exploited the young kids and brought them into this lifestyle. Nero, when he was young, he married a boy, a young boy. He also married another man as he was growing up. This, this practice was all over the place. Today, we haven't gone very far. In America, we have a North American Man-Boy Love Association. And the Man-Boy Love Association is trying to do th two things in our society. Guess what they're trying to do? They're trying to get <laughs> sodomy off the books. They're trying to make that legal. And then the second thing they're doing is the age of consent. They're trying to get it lowered from 18 down lower than that. So that they can have a relationship with young boys that are that they can be passionate with in their love and their sin. This is a non-Christian. Uh, Milton Hypern. He doesn't claim to be a Christian. He's not making a judgment on morals. But he was... Um, he did thousands of autopsies in New York City. And he would pick the lifestyle of the corpse in his autopsy. If he would see a brutal, multi-wound case in a single victim, he would automatically... He would automatically guess that he was dealing with a homosexual victim and a homosexual attacker. See, this passion comes over them and it controls them and it's a rage and it's an anger and so many times it gets violent. It gets violent. Uh, men, if you want a book on this, uh, Stu Weber, Tender Warrior. He wrote a great book on how men can be men. And one of the things he talks about is homosexuality and what actually goes on in that culture. It is not a nice culture. It's ugly and it's, it's murderous, really. So, it is indecent acts. Men committing indecent acts. Their desire, their control of them goes beyond anything you can imagine. Literally, the only natural sexual relationship that's allowed in the Bible is a husband and his wife. That day and age, in Paul's day and age, men and women were segregated. Growing up. A lot of men would have relation, would have a, a close friendship with other men. They would not get married until they were in their 30s. And when they were in their 30s, they would get married to a young lady and 
her 13, 14 years of age, which meant he had his without anything. And he would fall into a habit of three things to get his sexual desires met. Temple prostitutes. Or homosexual relationships. Or slaves. And a lot of those non-believing men in their 20s would be sexually active with either one of those three relationships. Until they get 30 and they get married. Indecent acts. It's an old word literally means to be deformed. To be disfigured. That's how he's describing homosexual relationships here. Fourth. Fourth. In the same way also, men abandoned the national function of women and burning their desires towards one another. Men worth men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. The due penalty in their error. What will be the penalty for uncontrolled sinful passions? Uncontrolled sinful passions. Now let's clarify that question real quick. Any sinful passion, any sinful passion that controls you, that makes you do things, you go, I can't believe I did that. Any sinful passion that makes you feel like you've done something wrong and you know you've done something wrong. The penalty that comes with that is, number four, the unnatural passions and actions are the penalty from God. The unnatural passions and actions are the penalty from God. Now, God could have made the world differently. He could have made the world that if you sin... You get what you deserve, and what the, you deserve for sin? Death. He could have made life that way. You commit one sin, you die. He could have done that. <clears throat> but his wrath shows itself in allowing you to sin some more, and sin some more. And sin some more and some more. And then you're in a habit of sinning. And then you are continually sinning. And you're sinning more grossly than you were last week. And you'll sin more and you'll sin more and you'll sin more. Until you stand before a holy throne and a holy God. And he commends you to a lake of fire. And on this earth, you will be known by your actions. And if you... Allow these sinful passions, whatever they are, lying, gossiping, envying, whatever sin you have, you allow that to control you, life does not get better. Life gets worse. The due penalty of their error. Imperfect active. In other words, you're continually going on. You're continually paying off your debt through your life. You are paying your debt every day you are in that sin. The penalty has been handed over for the sin of homosexuality is homosexuality. 
The sin of lying is the penalty is lying. The foundation of sin is to refuse to think and glorify and worship God leads to other sins. Leads to other sins. Let me let me stop here. Okay. Okay, we're gonna go nine more minutes. I have two hours worth of stuff here. We're gonna go nine more minutes. We're going to go as far as we can go until eight minutes is up, and then we'll skip to the end. Okay, everybody with me? You're not going to have time to turn to the verses. You won't have time. By the time you get to that verse, I'll be on another verse. Here you go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Genesis 2, 18. Write it down. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper suitable for him. God saw that men alone will be trouble. Therefore, God made women to get us out of trouble. A woman comes along and completes a man. He completed, she completes a man. Eve completed Adam. And gets us feeling and working the right way. Without you... Women, we would be a mess. Okay? Yeah, I thought I'd get an amen. 80% of Americans feel there's nothing wrong with being homosexual. The average homosexual has 20 to 106 partners in a year. In a year. That's why homosexual marriage doesn't make up by their lifestyle. It doesn't make sense. 28% of homosexuals have partners over a thousand. Over a thousand. Which is exactly like Baal worship in the Old Testament. Baal, if you worship Baal, you had a sexual component to that worship of Baal. Baal worshiped and encouraged and promoted rampial sexual immorality, homosexuality, adulterous sexuality. It was... It was a militant homosexual religion. And remember, Israel fell into that sin. <clears throat> you, you hear people say, don't call me a homosexual. Call me a gay person. Well, I don't say that to you. Because that's not what you are. Because you're not gay. You're not happy. You're not married. You're not happy, bright, lively. You're not that definition. You're homosexual. There are clergy who approve of homosexual relationships and do marriages. Just because a person called pastor approves a sinful act that God does not approve doesn't make it approvable. Because God is still the judge. In 1963, a panel of specialists in medicine, psychiatric, law, sociology, and theology came to a conference on homosexuality called by the Swiss Evangelical Church Union. The group reached the conclusion that homosexuality is not inherently, it's not part of one's genetic makeup. This is still a myth that people are believing that it's genetic, but it's not. 
It's a choice. Homosexuality must be accepted for what God says it is. A sin. One of many sins. No baby is born a homosexual. Every baby is born, guess what? Male or female. There's a Catholic priest who was at a conference, and he was teaching at a conference, and he says, quote, There's no clear condemnation of homosexual activity to be found anywhere in the Bible. If biblical leaders say that it's okay with my walk with God, it can grow if I continue in a same-sex marriage, I'm okay. Problem is, he doesn't understand what the Bible says, because the Bible clearly says that God is against homosexuality. McNeil, the, the Catholic priest, doesn't speak for the Roman Catholic Church, doesn't speak for what the Bible says, doesn't speak for anything. He's just a small segment of priests who have vowed themselves to celibacy and abstained from marriage and sexual intercourse with a woman and found sexual gratification with a homosexual act. It's an evil condemned in Scripture. Therefore, it is not worship of God and is not giving thanks to God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of Him. If you practice a sin, you're not born of Him. Practicing homosexuals are engaged in a divinely forbidden evil. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals will inherit the kingdom of God. God created this world for you to inherit the kingdom of God. And a homosexual not, will not. Later, Paul gives the answer to, to what happens. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. But such some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord and in the Spirit of our God. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If there is a man who lies with a male as those who lie with a woman, both of them have committed a detestable act and they surely shall put, be put to death. Their blood guiltiness is upon them. God hated the sexual sin of homosexuality. He had death as the penalty for that sin. Christians can't alter the view of God on this subject. Jude chapter 1 verse 7. Jude chapter 1 verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they were in the same way indulging in these gross immoralities and went after strange frest and exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah was an example of eternal fire. So, what's the Bible say on how we deal with homosexuals? Okay? I was at a... Not, not yesterday, years ago, and I had a homosexual woman bring me her homosexual partner and said, Pastor, this is my partner. And then she stood back. She, I don't know what she expected, but she expected a fight or something. 
for me to get my Bible out and hit her or something. I don't know what she expected. But I talked to her. What does God expect us to do when we meet a homosexual person? We talk to them. You talk to them like you would talk to a gossiper or a slanderer or a murderer. You talk to them as a sinner needing Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, they have no hope to get out of their passion that drives them to anger and fury. We have the solution. If they recognize that they are headed for nothing but more passion and more anger and more fury, if they recognize that they're lost and need hope, we have the story of the hope. We have the facts. We have the truth. We have Jesus Christ. We share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. We share with them what they need for salvation. And we show them. By the way, when you meet a gossiper, you do not bring your Bible and hit them upside the head and say, you gossiper. That's not what we do. We love them. We're careful what we tell them. But we love them and we share with them how they can be saved from their sin through Jesus Christ, whose blood will give them eternal redemption. Application. My eight minutes is up. Application. Will I share with my friends that are controlled by their sensual passions that the only way to control sinful desires is by the grace of God? and living by His biblical principles. Will I share with my friends that are controlled by their sensual passions that the only way to control sinful desires is by the grace of God and living by His biblical principles. Uh, in the insert, I have a book for you that you can order just by putting the ISBN number in your computer, and it will get you somebody that sells the book. If you have a family member that is caught by this passion of homosexuality, you need a book. You need some stuff that will help you study the Bible and study the relationship. So I recommend that book. Get that book, and I'll sign it for you. And you go read it and use it to minister to your homosexual friend. Because without Jesus Christ they'll be lost. Just like a gossiper. Everybody with me? Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for how it reaches to every possible sin, sensual sin that we have and convicts us of that sin. Father, we haven't even got to the antisocial sins yet. But Father, this has been tough enough. You want us, Father, to fulfill our roles as men and women. You want us to do what you've designed and created us to do. I pray, Father, for every man in this church, that you would have your hand upon him, help him to fulfill his role as man this week. 
I pray, Father, for every woman in this room, that you would be with them, help them fulfill their role as women in this church. If they're married, Father, I pray that they would complete the husband they're married to, that you would help them, Father, empower them with the Holy Spirit to be able to submit to the leadership of their husband. I pray, Father, that you would work in their marriage and make their marriage stronger than ever before. Father, we are so messed up in this world. We're out of place. We're out of sync. We're out of balance because we're not living the way the Creator wants us to live. And I pray, Father, that you would be ministering with us in the friends and family and co-workers that we have that are controlled by a sinful passion of sin. Help us, Father, to share with them the good news in a gentle, loving way on how they can be saved. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.